everybody. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of September 21st, 2023. I am Charles Hain. I am sitting here, the host, one of the hosts of this podcast. I'm sitting here with Jason Hellerman, screenwriter and writer extraordinaire. Good morning. And and my cat just knocked over my lamp. This is We just got a cat, so it's the first time Aww. we have a co-host, Wells. We didn't name him Wells. It's not after Orson Wells. There's no second E. It's Wells, like he's a rescue and he was already named Wells. But it's great because I get to think about Orson Welles a lot. So it's fine. Nice. Immediately, I was like, Welles from The Bachelor eight seasons ago. What a great name. (laughs) Deep 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 cuts. cuts. And we're also here in addition to co-host Welles, Gigi Hawkins, director, about to direct a movie. And we're going to be talking about that today and other stuff. You want to say hi? Hello. So this week on the podcast, we are first going to be talking about the most exciting of the strike news. My favorite of all of the union news we've got right now, which is that the PAs are unionizing, which like, holy cow, commercial PAs need to unionize. And I love it. Then we're going to be following it up with iPhone 15 news. I'm playing with one this week. I think I'm allowed to say that with Apple. It's always tricky. Apple's always weird about what you can and cannot say, but I'm playing with it this week. So we'll talk about iPhone 15 because there's actually some shit for filmmakers that is really relevant to filmmakers. So filmmakers should know about it. And yeah, so I'm going to do that. And then we're going to wrap it up with talking about Gigi's movie, An Island, which is shooting in Panama. (laughs) Panama. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. That was First up, yeah, I mean, you've really caught two peak middle-aged white dudes here. I don't know, Jason, <laughs> if you're quite middle-aged. What I, you're, I'm if 36. You, if I make it another 36, that'd be pretty good, you know? Yeah. All right. We're going to call you middle-aged. I'm 44. I'm like deeply middle-aged and I cannot hear the word Panama. And I did a shoot in Panama and like the whole time we were like, Panama. But the, <laughs> our first news this week is there's been a vote with IATSE. And with the commercial PAs to unionize commercial PAs, why is this a huge deal? So it's always been weird to me that PA, if, if you don't know what PA is, you're probably not listening to this podcast, but I just read <laughs> a whole bunch of people just shared a Jacobin article that everyone's like, this is the best thing I've ever read on Jacobin. And I tried to read it and straight up, I was like, 
it is starting at a level of knowledge of Marxist theory where I was like, can you just give me an intro paragraph so I understand what the fuck you are talking about? Because you're diving into stuff. And I'm like, I've read my Marx, but like, come on, Jacobin. Like, remember, there's people who don't think about this all day. So I'm going to I'm gonna try and do that for you guys and say, if you don't think about this all day, the PA is the production assistant. It is often an entry-level job in which people think of it as a ladder-climbing job that they're going to use to continue on their journey in the film industry. However, it's not always a ladder-climbing job. Because it's a ladder-climbing job, I think the excuse for the PAs not being unionized for a long time was the idea was, yeah, you're just going to be a PA for two years and then you're going to bounce up into camera. You're going to bounce up into production. You're going to, you're going to become a director or you're going to leave the industry. Yeah. The reality of what has happened in the industry is that there are lifelong career PAs that go on to become PAs and, and spend 10 or 15 years doing it. Even if you don't become a lifelong set PA, you might spend five or six or seven or eight years trying to move up that next step in the ladder. And during that time, you still deserve union protections. Mm -hmm. You still deserve better working conditions, better overtime, better, frankly, health insurance. And so, you know, one of the famous things that's been happening in New York is there's what are called parking PAs. Parking PAs are a very complicated situation because parking PAs will often have to be there super early in the morning. Like a New York City park parking PA, it would not be uncommon for a New York City parking PA to be there at four in the morning, setting up before the day starts. Like that is a very uncommon thing. So I think there's a there's a real desire and a need and a real excitement that we're seeing where there's some parking PA, there's some PA unionization activity. And honestly, you know, this is somebody else's tweet or observation, but, you know, we're starting to see a lot more talk of like the actors in South Korea are getting like, well, we should be getting Netflix residuals as well. And through the strike this summer, there's news coming out where it's like, oh, yeah, the European unions have been getting their actors residuals from streaming shows for years now. So there's a lot more. Look, Twitter, which I I will continue to dead name. I can't bring myself to say X repeatedly in conversation. And I think, <laughs> well, I, I, well, I don't believe in dead naming a person. You should respect a person's right to names. Companies aren't people. And I can keep calling it Twitter. And I'm OK with that. I've made my peace with that. that. Twitter allows people to talk to each other in a way we didn't have 20 years ago. And people can be like, wait, you guys get residuals in Europe and we don't hear Swedish Netflix shows get residuals in data. And I think a lot of one of the unintended consequences of this strike is I think a lot of other people are seeing like, oh shit, I should have union protection too. I mean, we saw it a couple of weeks ago with Marvel VFX workers voting to voting to organize. And like, I couldn't be more excited about the PA position, whether or not you're a PA for a year, or 10 years, I think, being able to join a union and get better protections. I mean, I work in academics and a lot of people, I remember when people first started unionizing grad workers, I was like, but why? You're only going to have the job for three years. I was dumb. I was young. Right. But now I'm like, oh no, grad workers should totally be in a union for those three years. You're in grad school. You're an exploited worker and there will be continual new waves of people. And so we have to unionize the grad workers and have them part of collective bargaining. And I feel the same way about PAs. Maybe you want out of being a PA in a week. Maybe that maybe you're only going to do it for six months. But like, should you not get paid better in that six months? Yeah, you have to. And especially because it's so ripe for abuse and ripe for just like taking advantage of the fact that people want to break into the industry, which we talk about again and again on this podcast. One thing that I've 
sort of noticed in my experience of making this movie so far is like, there's a lot of things that we just like grin and bear it to in filmmaking at the early stages when you're trying to break in. For example, like working with SAG as an indie film is really, really difficult. But similar to like when you're in public school with kids, I think you, when you're in it, you're like, let's fight for this. Let's do it. But then you're so burnt out at the end that when your kids are out of school, you're like, oh my God, I can't, I I just don't have the energy anymore. And it feels like these early stage things, people often like stop advocating for it. And this is such an important structure for supporting, you know, people who don't, can't necessarily always have the resources to advocate for themselves. It's a younger a younger population that's generally in this space too. So I think it is actually such a good way to instill great labor practices and work practices and like understand how to sort of like know what's right and what's wrong. It's not always black and white, but like know how to sort of like build from the ground up and instill this in a career early on. So many, even I, like, I'm a writer, but I started as a PA in, like, I started as an assistant, but I PA'd commercials before I had a job. When I was writing in between work, PA stuff was stuff I knew I could get. I PA'd commercials and worked my way. I wound up writing treatments for a lot of it, but, like, I got into that just by being a PA on commercials. It, it like, it is a gateway, and I do think, we often think about Hollywood as just, like, film and television, but there's so many more things shooting everywhere all the time, and you know, commercials are shooting across the globe and, you know, whatever. So I, I think it's important for the, you know, the lowest people on the totem pole in those areas to have protections, whether or not they stick around or not. You know, I, I think we get more interesting and more independent voices in Hollywood if we just protected people at the bottom instead of making it so awful that, you know, that only the people who can stick around, stick around. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a classic problem of ladder pulling. There's a great thing. I love hacks so much. Hacks is so great. Everybody should go watch Hacks. The show, um, the show. The show. It's such a brilliantly written show. It's like I perfection. I know. I oh, um, love it. She's so great. Everybody's so great in that show. There's, and there's a great thing where like somebody's accusing someone else of being a ladder puller, but like there's a thing. And I remember this a lot when I was starting out where people are like, well, you just got to, you just got to grin and bear it and work miserable hours to prove you belong in this industry and prove you have the passion and grit. And I think a lot of people who say that are remembering a time in the 80s where they were PAing and they were barely making enough to pay rent and maybe see a double feature on the weekend. And now the people who are PAing are making a third of what they need to make rent. And like they might sit around and watch their cousin's parents' Netflix on the weekend. But like, so sad. But like the cost of living is so out of whack and everything else is so out of whack. And so, like, I don't know, I'm just not interested in like, I'm interested in figuring out what an industry could look like where there is an easy road mm-hmm. where, you know, we have this default thing where an 18 year old's like, I want to make movies. And people are like, well, it's got it. I remember being at a Chinese restaurant with my parents and I was like seven. And we were talking about what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I said, I wanted to be an actor because of something on the Chinese zodiac. Like there was a table mat and like my, I was Year of the Rabbit or whatever. And like one of the other people they were listing in Year of the Rabbit on this 1980s table mat in this Chinese restaurant was an actor. And I was like, Ooh, that sounds cool. I want to do that. And my parents like, that's a hard life. It's a hard life, kid. It's a hard life. Literally my same, someone in my family who will not be named. I was like, I want to be an actor when I grow up. Same thing, same dream. And they were like, 
be prepared to wait a lot of tables. And I'm like, dream immediately crushed. And then I spent, you know, a decade and a half recovering from that and then finally came around to making movies again. But like that, it, it, if it's instilled early on, like doesn't that kind of reinforce this, like just you have to grin and bear it. You have to do it. Yeah. Well, and also can it be something where like, yes, a PA job is not going to be fun. You're not going to make creative decisions. You're never going to get to like, walk up to the director and be like, you know, have you thought about switching yeah. to 135 millimeter lens? Like that's how what PAing is. It's still hard work and a grind, but can it be hard work and a grind where you can afford your fucking rent? And like, Lord. like that should be enough. And I, and we're in a situation right now where in all the major cities where all the production work is, you know, even in commercials where the day rate is good, you just can't afford life the way life is right now. And, and unions are the best way to ensure that PA gigs are not treated as a like by default suffer and have your parents pay the part of your rent you can't cover, but you actually can like, it can become a foothold. Like the dream is that it is a real foothold path into the industry. And it can't be that if you can't afford to do it, if someone else is not helping you, because then it becomes only people who have family that will help them who are able to get their start. And I think that's what it is in danger of becoming. So I'm very excited about this. I I think, you know, with one or two exceptions, everybody should have unions. There's like a couple of organizations that should not unionize, but that'll take us in a whole other direction that we don't need to go down right now. So we're going to keep that to ourselves and we're going to move on to our next topic. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We used to do tech news so much in this podcast. Any longtime listeners out there are going to be like, oh my God, a tech news segment. We used to have tech news. Guys, we used to have tech news every fucking week. And every week I would do like two or three things in tech news. Oh my news. gosh. Um, We're bringing it back. We love tech news. I mean, I'm not like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'll make a full confession. I think I was artistically wounded and hit out in tech because it was safe. Mm. Because like there were numbers and figures and you could say them and you could test and you could argue. And I think I was uh, a little bit wounded by some creative experiences, which I've talked about elsewhere and, and gone on to make a series about and talk about a lot. Um, yeah. But I, so I think I am less interested in tech now because I'm more interested in the messy and the nebulous and the vulnerable. And that's way more fun for me. But we still use technology to tell our stories and we should understand it. And I actually think iPhone 15 is huge news for filmmakers. And I want to talk about the huge news that is iPhone 15 because there's some shit that I think people aren't talking about enough that we should talk about. So I think iPhone 15 is like absolutely a completely different animal for filmmakers. And the biggest thing is that you can shoot straight to hard drive. So wow. it's got USB and you can go buy any drive that meets the specs. I think the Samsung T7 does, if not like the CalDigit Tough, like you just buy a two terabyte hard drive and you can plug it in with USB and you can shoot straight to that external hard drive, 4K, 60 log footage with the iPhone camera. And like, this is the game changer because the iPhone camera has been nice for a couple of years. But it's been really annoyingly throttled by, oh, well, I get the footage and then what, like I airdrop it to my laptop? Like, <laughs> it's not a robust thing. It's not easy to back the files up. And like, you know, on film sets, we like robust systems. We like to use Hedge and get a 
a checksum verified download copy and we like to be able to make four copies immediate. You know, we like robust systems. The ability to be like, oh, I'm just going to plug this Samsung drive or CalDigit or whatever the fuck drive into my phone and shoot 4K60 straight to it. And then I'll walk that over to the download station, run it through Hedge or Shopput or Silverstack or whoever and make duplicates of it. It's a complete game changer for this camera at the independent film level, at the student film level, at the like, at the like, you know, like I don't think our film school will do this because we're a grad program, but I could totally see an undergrad program being like, oh, well, you know, we're just going to buy 20 iPhones for the intro to filmmaking class because, you know, you now have aperture control, you now have depth of field control, you now have like three pretty sophisticated lens options. There's a video going around that I believe should be public today. I think it is public already. This goes live Thursday or Friday, so it should be public. That's like, Intercutting between iPhone 15, DJI, Inspire 3, which that camera looks great. My review ran a couple of weeks ago. That camera is insane. And Alexa 35, which is like arguably the nicest digital camera that exists at the moment. And like, if you know what you are looking for, you can see the iPhone stuff. And it's all shot around the same time of day, night exterior. And the argument I always like to make is the thing you get out of the bigger, more powerful cameras is more flexibility. When I need to go in for a close-up, when I need to, when the sunlight changes, when I like, you get control and power that you don't get out of the iPhone. So I'm not saying that like every TV show should immediately switch to shooting iPhone because obviously Alexa 35 looks great and people will keep shooting that. But I think as a learning tool, the footage is just getting astounding and the ability to have it crank straight into a hard drive is a workflow innovation that makes me, you know, at one point I was talking to someone and they were like, well, yeah, I mean, we're at a point where like pretty much everything is an iPhone shot in it now. And like, guys, that shot's 10 years ago. I mean, Wolf of Wall Street from a decade ago has iPhone footage in it. Like, we are well beyond the point where everything has at least something. And so the fact that it's getting this good is... The fact that it's getting this good and this easy to work with is really making it a graded tool. So we've got Log Capture now, which is great. I think they're calling it Apple Log or A-Log. Fully supported, Final Cut, fully supported. And it's fully supported as a transform, not a lot. You can use a LUT if you have to, but a transform is always better because a tra- transform doesn't have limits like a LUT does. Mm-hmm. So use the transform in Final Cut or the transform in Resolve and you'll be much happier with what you get. And I think you will be very happy with the footage you are getting out of it. I think that there's going to be Apple Raw video soon. Now that they do straight to hard drive, they do raw photos. And I think there will be like Apple Raw as a format or the ability to do ProRes raw to the external drive. Although I think it might be something else. I think, I don't know. We'll see what it is. I know they do pro. They were obviously the generators of ProRes raw. It'll be interesting to see iPhone shoot ProRes raw video because it can do pro raw now. And I think we will see something like that. So yeah, that's, that's the iPhone 15. Do you guys have questions? I've been playing with it so I can give like thoughts. I feel like we're, we've got to be pretty close. Every time there's a big iPhone release, there's always a feature film that shoots with it. So I, you know, I'm fascinated to see who does it. What was that Soderbergh Mental Asylum movie? Un- Unsane. Unsane. Yeah, I, really, I really enjoyed that. And there's been a couple through. And it feels like the deeper we get into iPhone tech, the less of a gimmick it is that people are shooting on it. You know, like if that makes sense, like with the last drop, remember that commercial they shot and was like kids in a snowball fight? And we have we have an article on No Film School. I'll, I'll find it. I know I wrote it, but it's like mm-hmm. one of the coolest shot commercials I've seen. And it's like shot on an iPhone 14. So it does feel like the almost the novelty is going away because it's just getting so good. But I, I thought what you said, Charles, was interesting about student filmmakers 
you know, when I was in film school, the first camera we used, I think, was a PDX-10, if you remember those. And like, <laughs> I do. A, a clunky thing that you have to put a tape in and record. And, and I do wonder, like, oh, is there, now with accessibility and, and these sort of lenses and everything you're talking about, like, is there a, you know, there probably is an argument to be made that, like, people should start working on what they can, you know, what they use every day and then move their way up. I don't know, but very interesting. I mean, for me, the interesting thing about all this is like, you know, I'm in the middle of shooting. I mean, I teach a 35 millimeter filmmaking class. So, you know, I will be shooting a 35 millimeter and iPhone side by side because why the fuck not? It'll be funny. But I am teaching, I am teaching a bunch of things, aperture, dynamic range, like layers of film sensitivity, chemicals of development, that if you are going to be a professional cinematographer, you should understand. We've had to teach a lot of that to film students that want to be directors or screenwriters because we have to. But I am thinking as we move into this computational photography age, like what, what I think is more interesting to talk about and think about is like, what is the image you want to capture and why do you want to capture it? And I like the idea of tools getting easier to help you capture the image you want to capture in a way that is reflective of what you want to do. I, I mean, I think the danger will be you will end up with directors who are trying to talk DPs into iPhone shoots with Alexa 35 ambitions. They'll be like, well, mm-hmm. I want it to look exactly like Oppenheimer, but I think we can shoot on the iPhone. I saw that demo. And I think, you know, that's never going to go away. That's always fun. That's like part of life. But the flip side of that is the ability to get images that look astounding and impressive with an easier workflow that gives you a lot more of the control and becomes a really interesting intermediate step. Because the thing you want to get people to as quickly as possible is like, what is the image you're trying to capture? Not like how to use a light meter. Because like, I like teaching how to use a light meter to people who want to be DPs, but to people who want to be directors, like where are you putting the camera on earth and what are you putting in front of it to create an image? And I think you can just as easily learn that on a phone and I'm interested in seeing what happens in the next couple of years with, you know, do they do they still do iPod Touch, which was like iPhone without the cellular connection? I had one of those. I mean, I always thought that was a brilliant idea. And like, it, yeah. you know, if I was a film school that was buying 20 of these, I would like them to be a, a version without a cell connection because I yeah. don't care about that. Yeah, they I should make know. that. Yeah. One of my favorite they- assignments as a student, Charles, is something you just said which was we would have to go outside with uh, like just a regular camera. You know, I don't know what cameras Penn State had at the time. And honestly, I think we were allowed to use our cell phones. It was just take pictures of a scene. So it was like, hey, here's the scene. Our, our teacher would give us this, Rod Bingaman, shout out Rod, would mm-hmm. give us this nonsense script. And then you would just use still images almost like in a la jete way of like, here's what I would shoot if it was a movie. And it made you have to think so much about what angles you were doing. And it's like such a lo-fi way to like understand maybe I'm not taking the greatest picture of all time. You know, some kids like really got into it and whatever. I remember I used just puppets for mine. So it was just like, this is why I do it. And blah, blah. but it, it makes you think so much more about directing than I think almost any other assignment because you're every single photo has to be composed and part of a story, you know, that you're putting together. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's so vital. But one of the frustrating things I think that happens to people is they take those photos. I've given it a photo assignment like that for like a decade. And I always said, just shoot it on your phone. Like, I don't want to check a camera for you. But I think people then get frustrated or bummed when they just shoot phone photos and they don't look very good. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I love the idea of a camera where it just looks good whether you try very hard or not. But if there's no story in the image, we can all tell. 
And you can't right. hide behind, well, like it's a shitty camera. It's like, well, no, that, that looks magnificent. It's a beautiful image, but there's no story there. Yeah. And that, I think, is a really interesting discipline to learn. I mean, you know, it is a wild time that a camera this good is going to be walking around in everybody's pocket full time all the time. The other thing that I think is relevant to filmmakers is the Pro Max, the really big one, the, the one for big hands and purses, as a friend of mine says, <laughs> has a 5X, like the equivalent of an optical 130 millimeter, 120 millimeter zoom. And as a long time iPhone shooter, my biggest thing has always been, I want more optical zoom because, you know, Tony Scott, shoot it all in long lenses. And I'm, I'm really happy if you're willing to go for Pro Max, if you're willing to go for a purse camera, you get that 5X. I think that will be really interesting for a lot of filmmakers when they use this as a previous tool or when they actually shoot with it. And interestingly, the 5X supports cinematic mode, which is really fascinating because usually cinematic mode works best when you're a little closer to the camera. I'm assuming that they're assuming you're in 5X, but you're still going for a close-up. I'm assuming it's not going to do great cinematic mode if you're like sitting in the audience at a school play. But if you use that 5X to go for a close-up, you'll be able to throw the background even more out of focus. Although... The tests I've seen, the background is out of focus because it's a 5X optical lens and you get fall off and it looks quite nice. So that's tech. All right. An island. There is an iPhone shot in the movie. What are you shooting on the iPhone? Can you tell us or no? Yeah. So we're shooting, it's sort of this recurring theme with the protagonist. She's occasionally recording the vacation on her phone. And we are shooting it horizontally. So she'll be holding it like, you know, kind of like as if you're doing a selfie with multiple people. I think you hold it this way, but we wanted it to have a look that's slightly more cinematic. But it is, it's an older iPhone. It's not a fancy thing. And it's meant to be like grainy and sort of like the things we record on vacation versus the things we uh, actually experience on vacation. Nice. That's nice. It'll, it'll give you... Such a natural transition. You could use it as much as you want if you need to get in and out of scenes. I feel like you could have a record as, as much as necessary and then pick the best stuff. Yeah, we are record Like the actors are shooting the first three little moments at the airport by themselves as they're traveling to Panama because I leave tonight, which is why I've been so quiet on the podcast because I'm very tired. But, <laughs> but, but it's all good. It's very exciting. And yeah, it's called an island and we're going to Panama tonight. Tell us about, you've been having some last minute drama. Yeah. So it, it was drama in that, you know, we, you, you plan as much as you can, but you, there's things that you can never see coming. And we lost one of our lead actors a week and a half before we were. Not to death. We should. Not clarify. to death. I know, but it feels like it. I've been grieving, grieving in a way um, because I wrote, the role for this actor and he's amazing. And, but like this thing came up and there was just no way around it. So luckily we had already had a casting director on board, Alabama Blonde Casting, who's amazing. She is somebody who is helping us cast a character that's kind of like non-binary character who has to have this like je ne sais quoi, everyone falls in love with them thing. And we were like trying to cast on our own. And we we just needed a, a little extra help. And then when we lost this other actor, we like went into full triage mode and we had over 400 people apply. And I've never had, I've never worked with a casting director. I've never really had the opportunity to cast. And I've always built around people that I know who I like and like working with. And it was such an interesting process. Um, it was also an interesting process of like, 
kind of reworking, breaking up with the idea that I had because I had written this role for somebody. And um, I they were just so stuck in my head. And we went through video self-tapes. We then brought people in for chem reads. And then we did a final round of chem reads with three people. And, and when it came down to it, I was deciding between two people. And I went for a walk, like completely signed offline for an hour and a half. And I went for a walk and I envisioned the movie with one person who we like loved as a person. He like brought a prop with him in his original chem read. And we're like, oh my gosh, like, like a tiny little rock that, you know, we were giving people a camera cap, a lens cap to like use as that. And he's like, oh, I brought a rock. I was like, oh, you showed up. And we were just like, you'd be an amazing person to be hanging out with on an island while we're in Panama making a movie. And I walked and envisioned the movie with him. And then I walked and envisioned the movie with another actor who also amazing human being, like, and so excited, was so excited by the idea of working with him. But I had to sort of like make a decision. At the end of the day, I was like, what is the movie I'm making? I think at the end of the day, this person will serve this role better and serve our protagonist better, who I wrote the role for and like much more tonally. So like, I think I'm, for the first time in my life, as a director, shifting away from people-pleasing mode, shifting away from party host mode to focusing on the end product, focusing on the story that we're telling and letting that be the only ego. Of course, like I wrote email to the final people, thanking them and also telling them how amazing they are and got ama- like the kindest emails back. And I, I hope that like, you know, they said it was a good experience. And I think we need to like also always maintain our humanity, even in these really tough times. But yeah, it was tough. Like I, it was really tough because I just know that like everyone, like I was just so impressed with how people showed up, especially in these chem reads. And, and I think it goes to show like for anyone who's also an actor here, like it is the job and the win is getting in the room. And there's so many other factors that, you know, it's not whether you got the role or not. Like you can, you can be an amazing human, an incredible actor and still not be right for the role. Yeah. I mean, that is the hardest thing about being a performer is that it is literally, you can be amazing and you are not the right fit. I'm also really glad we heard this now because what's funny for me is thinking back and trying to remember this feeling of when you are making the decision. Because by the time you are done shooting, it'll be impossible for you to imagine what it would have been like with the other performer. <laughs> but yeah. before shooting, you legitimately have these two movies that you could you could birth. And you're like, which one will it be? And they are two movies. And it's like such a fascinating moment in time. I'm so glad to hear you worked with a casting director. It's like my number one piece of advice is work with a casting director at an earlier stage of your career than you think. Yes. Because it's just so good. It's, casting directors spend all their time trying to know who all of the good people are. It's their job to know all of, you know, I remember a friend of mine had Rachel Brosnahan in his short, like two years before Mrs. Maisel. Was and it Ari Aster? <laughs> no. Did she also do an Ari Aster short? Yeah. Was yeah. A, like his um, post AFI short. But, and, but anyway, uh, she's and, you doing know, all the shorts. And he was like, straight up, he was like, oh, I just had a casting director who's like really good at knowing who's going to be famous in three years. And like everybody at that casting level knows the people who are on their way somewhere. You know, the famous story about John Hamm is he was in a pilot a year for 10 years. So everybody knew eventually John Hamm would be famous because obviously he's John Hamm. He's very good at stuff and very handsome. Handsome, good at stuff. People will eventually be famous. 
So for 10 years, every casting director knew who he was and all the studio executives knew who he was and no one in America knew who he was. So you want a casting director because not every director and writer knew who John Hamm was because they're not all getting a pilot made every year and and he's not coming up. Casting directors want to know everybody and where they're going. And the ability to connect with one sounds great. It sounds like you had a really great experience with yours, which is amazing. I mean, Alabama saved the movie, no question. And we're going to have her on to like talk more about the experience because it, it, it was, it truly leveled up our production in so many ways. And also I think that it's really easy to think you can handle it yourself, but you have too much on your plate. And that's where like, it does become, it's so easy to like not respond to emails. I have to respond to a bunch of people from our first round of casting, but like, you know, what Alabama was doing was being the liaison and also protecting the actors. Like, you know, when I'd, I'd be like, would it, do you think this would be okay? Or like, what if we preemptively shared the like deal points of the contract before we bring them in for a chem read? Because that way they can sign right away and then we can book their goddamn flight to Panama because it's really expensive. And, and she was like, I'll offer it to them. I'm not going to give it to them because I don't want them to feel like they're being led on. And I was like, that's something where it's like, oh, great. Okay. Somebody is watching out for these folks who work so freaking hard to like even have a chance in the room. So it's just like really just a great, I can't recommend it higher. And I can't wait to like dive in more about it. Well, and also a good casting director is going to save you seeing a bunch of people who are never going to work, right? Like when you just do an open call and you end up with like a thousand people self-taping or whatever, you're wasting 600 of those people's time who are never right. And a good casting director will be like, oh, I've read this. I've talked to you. I know what you're interested in. And there's, you know, 200 people you should see tape from or 80 people you should see from or seven people, depending upon the part and how many people Mm -hmm. are good. You know, they're never going to send you one person because they need you to feel like you've made a choice, but they might send you seven people and one of them, it's the Hornberger system. They know who they want you to pick and they've figured it out. But I think that you're... Yeah, it's such a great reminder that even on very low budget stuff, the other thing is there are casting directors out there, you know, no casting director exclusively wants to be working on really tiny budget stuff, but there are casting directors out there, the same way casting directors want to see actors that are on their way and get to know them while they're on their way. Casting directors would like to get to know the directors who are going places and will pay attention to smaller people who act professionally and and come to them. And it's so great to hear that that's going well. So you're leaving. You won't be on the podcast for a couple of weeks because you're out there directing a feature. What are your other last day in LA things that have to happen before you get on a plane? I'm rehearsing with the actors today, this morning, and you know, just trying to like get as much in while we can before we get to Panama because we want to be like pulling it off, or just focused on pulling it off and executing when we're there. And so that's what I'm doing the first half of the day. The second half of the day, I'm printing out all of my scripts because I just did a big update to it. Jason, thank you for notes. And 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 I also have overhead overheads of every scene and our shot list for every scene. I think, so we're going to Panama and it's a two-day trip to get to this island. And two things that I need to do. One is spend time thinking about the transitions, which is something that I've started to do. And this was Jason advice and something else that I think we talked about on the Wine Club podcast. And I've started to sort of like write in these moments and just be aware of it. And just being aware of it, I'm like, I haven't had a moment to sit alone with a script except for when I anxiety woke up at 5.30 this morning. And so I'm hoping to have some time with that. 
The other thing, and this is just the reality of shooting in 11 days, is we are still like, we're going to have to simplify. We're going to have to consolidate. And I did just send out a revision, a green draft with like three more pages and one more scene in it. But we'll see. We'll see. So I'm like mentally preparing to, and I'm flying out with my DP, the production designer, the AD, and my producer, and all the gear. And we have to bring all of our costumes. So I'm like splitting up the costumes, half in the talents carry on, half I'll be bringing with me a little bit beforehand in case something happens to my checked bag. I've learned so much. I've learned what to do before a take in a. If you don't have hair and makeup in a muggy environment, we had a makeup artist, Wakana, come and do a tutorial with us. So now we know you you pat your paper towel, then you oil blot, and then you're good to go. We're going pretty all natural. But yeah, so it's just been this whirlwind and I can't believe it's happening. And I I think the biggest thing I've used to always, I used to always feel very, I felt bad asking for help. And now I'm just like, we don't have, I don't have time to feel bad. I'm just going to ask. And, and people have shown up and have been happy to help. And that has been just sort of like a reassurance that humanity is great at the end of the day and we have hope and we'll be okay and we can make things and we can come together and make things. So yeah, it's been, it's been, I wonder what the first thing I'll say on the other side of this is I'll probably be like, have that, the post camp blues post. Yeah. The Mondays. Blues. Yeah. yeah they, what is it in theater? Blue Mondays. Like yeah. Yeah, we were up on a Sunday and then everybody's like, oh, and now I have to open my mail and do my laundry. We call it the blahs uh, where I'm from. The old yeah. the Sunday, the Sunday blahs, because you know Monday's coming. The post shoot blahs. Victor Frankel has a great one, Sunday Psychosis, which <laughs> is the which is the ennui of a Sunday that comes from investing too much of your emotions in your work. Everybody Sunday should read scaries. Frankel. Yeah, Victor Frankel's yeah. great. Although for us, because often we shoot through sun, Sunday, it's often then we have like the Monday to recover, like mm-hmm. theater people. Do you use cryptation? Is cryptation on your radar? It's it's on my radar. I haven't used it. Yeah. I just, it is like one of those tools. It's again, talking about tech, making our lives easier. It's one of those tools for like, scriptation is a tool that lets you do different layers of notes on your PDF. Yeah. So you can go in and you can do like all your actor's notes on the PDF and then you can turn that off and turn on a camera layer and you can do all your camera notes on the PDF. And it's great because then as new drafts come out, those notes ripple over. It's designed by filmmakers for filmmakers. It is insane and amazing. And like, it's scriptation. Like, I can't imagine doing a shoot without it now that it yeah. exists. And it's monthly. It's kind of expensive, but you would buy it for a month for your movie and then you'd be done. You could turn the subscription I off. I don't have an iPad though. That's the thing. Or, yeah. I think they so. work on phone and computer. Yeah, I was going to say, I think there's a phone app. I'm Maybe I'm just being like a little stubborn fucker on this, but I'm like, I'm printing it out in paper. And then Ryan, the DP is like, it's all going to change. Get ready. And I'm like, but I want to feel it. I want to feel it. And then I'm going to come back in three weeks and be like, should have done scripted. I mean, I still do physical binders on every job I do because a physical binder and a bunch of that stuff is great. But then it's all in that one binder and other people are looking at, you know, whereas like, Scriptation is nice because it's designed for teams. So you can share the camera layer with the camera team and they don't yeah. have to see your acting notes. And st- it's like, yeah, I feel like but, you know, the, physical yeah. paper is great. What is in your binder? Tell me what's in your onset binder, both of you. Scriptation. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just have the script most of the time with, you know, 
the pages were shooting day of separated and then little markers. But yeah. So I usually have an acting breakdown page, which is like, what are the beats? What are their motivations? What are their adjustments? And then usually in the adjustments column, I'll have like two or three different adjustments in case the first adjustment doesn't work or in case we want to explore different directions. I try and save some adjustments for set. So in rehearsal, I'm talking about the individual motivation per beat a lot. And then a lot of times on set, I'm bringing out different adjustments to the motivation to try and find something fresh or new. And that'll be broken down. And those same beat lines will then also ripple over to my camera layer. But my camera layer will have stuff like coverage ideas. Visual. There's a visual design column of like, did I want this scene deeper? Do I want this scene flatter? Should this scene be warmer? Should this scene be cooler? Like, what is my overall like Bruce Blocky visual structure? But separate from that column, there'll be a different column that's like, you know, are there specific things for this beat that I think are worth doing? Is this a push-in beat? Is this is there a moment here? That kind of stuff. And then usually there's an art and like a production layer that I don't engage with as much, but everybody else does, where it's like, these props from this beat need to be in this layer and like extras and stuff like that. And like that layer's there. And I don't, maybe I, maybe Jason, you get more involved in that one than I do, but. Not as much. I, I've seen it a lot of, on a lot of commercials, a lot of directors will have that art layer, just like this is what, what has to be here product wise, you know, and different things. Yeah, well, and, there's that for sure. Yeah. I've seen it sometimes in features. A lot of times this, the budget of the stuff I'm working on, at least in the past, hopefully down the future is more fly by the seat of your pants or just, you know, hey, we want it to look like this and we're going to try. But when we talk about scriptation, I just look, we've interviewed the creator of that app many times at No Film School and I just found an email exchange I had with him and he's a very lovely guy. So definitely check it out. And Gigi, if you are interested, we might be able to get you a little discount or a freebie. A little demo? Yeah, a little Hook demo. You know, yeah. Hook it up. Uh, maybe not in time for you to leave in a couple hours, but yeah, uh, it is. For yeah, the next yeah. one. For the next it's great. one, for it's- sure. Yeah. I can't believe we have two tech news items in this week. All right. Well, Gigi's got to run and rehearse her brand new actors. So we're going to let everybody go. I'm rarely on the internet other than this <laughs> podcast, but you can sometimes find me on Twitter, which I'm trying to quit. Elon Musk is threatening to charge everyone for Twitter. And I'm like, please do it. Please save me from it. Please. Yeah, bro- like, Because I will not pay. <laughs> That'll break and you. And so I will be done. Well, also, like I'm on there for screenwriting strike news and at SAG after strike yeah. news. And you don't get that on Mastodon. And no one has invited me to Blue Sky yet. And um, I'll just text you, Charles. I'll text you every time something comes up. Yeah. Honestly, if I could have Jason replace Twitter for me and being like, here's what people are talking about on Twitter, but you don't have to go, I would take it. Have you seen what they're saying on Jason? Yeah. <laughs> I'll just, we'll have a group thread. You know, we have a group thread yeah. going. I'll just put more news in there. Uh, I'm at Jason Hellerman, still on Twitter, but we'll leave the second Charles leaves. You know, that's my, there's a solemn like vow. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll hold hands and jump off the cliff together. Uh, I guess I will too. We're in a cult, right? We did a blood oath, a pot oath. I'm cutting my palm um, right now. I'm at yeah. Lost in... <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm at Lost in Graceland. I won't be posting about the movie until after it comes out. But thank you for everyone who's reached out and has sent their words of encouragement. It really means a lot. So I appreciate all of you. And you guys. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for the support. Good luck. If you need anything, reach out and we'll see you on the other side. See you on the other side. Break a leg. Get ready for us to sing Panama over and over again. 